And hi, everyone. I'm Maria Grzanka, and welcome to Lean Portland's first Tuesday happy hour, the first first Tuesday of 2021. Thanks for joining us. And I think most of you have been here before. And we're kind of a collective of people helping people make work better, mostly from the Lean and Six Sigma profession. And we gather periodically to uh, share our stories, experience, learning about continuous improvement. So three ways that we get together. One, this is our first Tuesday happy hour. Um, we also do free and donation-based workshops uh, around basic lean and Six Sigma principles. And Uh, we also do pro bono consulting with volunteers. And a couple of ways that we do that is, um, or a couple of reasons why we do that is to improve or have an impact in our community, practice our skills in continuous improvement in different organizations that we're normal than we're normally working with, and also to develop our, our own um, practice and techniques. So I'm super excited today that we have John Ashcraft with us from Free Geek, and we've been uh, working with Free Geek, and a number of you have worked with us at Free Geek over the last three-ish years, I think, uh, in a number of different capacities, and that's where the volunteer um, part comes in, we bring together volunteers to work on specific projects or kind of workshopping activities with our pro bono community clients. So here we are. John, I found this picture of you on the internet somewhere, but it reminded me of that day that we went out there to uh, walk through, obviously post-COVID, uh, to look at the, the flow of the operation and how COVID and social distancing was having an impact there. Okay, so here's a, a rough agenda for tonight. We probably won't stick to these times exactly. Um, this is meant to be a, a kind of organic, informal conversation, somewhat replicating our experience that we would used to have when we would meet at a bar in Northwest Portland and chit chat about what was going on at work. So. We'll do a little bit of uh, a kind of interview conversation with John and uh, talk about the ways that we've worked with uh, Free Geek. We can do some Q&A and then we'll do some breakout rooms for just general networking and discussion and we can end when it feels like it's time to end. And hello, John. So, um, why don't we start with, uh, tell us a little bit about what Free Geek does. Sure. Yeah, Free Geek's a nonprofit in Portland, Oregon. We've been around 20 years now. Uh, we were founded on the two kind of problems that uh, our founders saw in the world. One was uh, the problem of e-waste 20 years ago. Kind of, definitely there was a, a big wave of computers from the, the 90s getting recycled or actually getting thrown away. Uh, there wasn't a lot of recycling infrastructure to capture e-waste. Uh, we know it's toxic. There's 
lead, there's mercury, there's other heavy metals. You know, there's value. There's, of course, a lot of steel and copper, but also silver, gold, and palladium in circuit boards. Uh, and then the other issue was what we now call the digital divide. Uh, back then, we just saw it as people didn't have access to the internet and computers. Uh, even 20 years ago, it was pretty obvious that if you wanted to get the best education, shopping, government services, you were going to need to be online. Uh, fast forward to now, uh, a year ago, we were still arguing. You were still, you know, trying to make the case that, like, if you don't have a computer, you're disconnected from society. Now I think it's just super obvious. Uh, you can't get any healthcare or services if you're not online. Uh, and so we really thought we could uh, shove those two problems at each other and uh, help to solve them both a little bit. So uh, on Earth Day 2000, we had a booth uh, in Portland, Oregon in a park and said, give us your computers, we'll give it to someone who needs it. Uh, we found out pretty immediately that people didn't just want to give us their computers. They wanted to be involved. They wanted to come volunteer. They wanted to refurbish desktop computers. Uh, and so we made a volunteer program where if you volunteer with us for 24 hours, you get a free computer. The Willy Week uh, put that uh, in the paper and the, and the next day there was a line around the block, people wanting mm -hmm. to volunteer and earn a computer. So for the last 20 years, uh, we've been iterating on that, making the uh, computers accessible to people who need them. We give free computers to nonprofits who apply and qualify. We give free computers to uh, K through 12 school kids who volunteer anywhere in the community. Uh, and we've kind of loosened some of that up. So I think instead of requiring the volunteering, we're really giving out a lot of computers now, providing low cost computers to people who need them uh, and really doing our best to reuse as much uh, technology as we can and get as many computers into the hands of people who might otherwise uh, not have the same access that we enjoy. That's awesome. So I'm wondering, um, you know, if, if this were not COVID times, would there still be a line around the block for the free computer um, compa now compared to 2000? Yep, uh, there is a virtual line around the block. Uh, mm -hmm. We are producing more laptops than ever before, and I'll kind of talk about how Lean has helped us get to that place uh, a little bit later. But uh, if we had a thousand laptops ready to go out the door tomorrow, there's no shortage of, of school kids and uh, unhoused people and lower mm -hmm. income, uh, as well as kind of the low cost people who would like to shop used or on a budget. Uh, we like to make that accessible as well. So demand for laptops is real high. Uh, desktops is a little bit lower. Uh, a lot of people are certainly moving towards more mobile mm -hmm. devices. But, so no um, lack of demand there. Yeah, and supply kind of fluctuates. So a lot of the challenge is uh, the processing and labor. So sometimes our bottleneck is donations. Uh, we, we really rely on government agencies like City of Portland, Multnomah County, and large businesses to provide us their 
like three-year-old laptops during their refresh cycle. Uh, we can get those back into someone's hands that can use them for another five or seven years uh, of usable life. Um, but when that's running smoothly, how fast we can uh, erase the data, test everything, maybe swap some parts, a little bit of fixing here and there. Uh, that's what's slowing us down from just giving everything. Mm -hmm. to uh, and of course, that's where uh, the help of Lean thinking and our consultation with Brian, Maria, and some of you has really come in. Must have been three or so years ago now that uh, Brian and Maria, maybe you were there that kind of first week as well. Uh, I'm Brian not sure that I was there. I was going to ask Brian because I think he was the one that really connected Lean Portland and Free Geek. How did you? How did that happen, Brian? Yeah, that was part of the master recycler program that I took through the city of Portland. And then we did a tour of Free Geek and John was the host. So we did a little talk and I said, hey, John, I got, we got this group here in town that I think would be a great connection with you. And they already had some really cool stuff in place, which I um, noticed right away. And but also saw some opportunities too. So. Yeah, it was, uh, that was where we all got started. And I can't remember who was involved, if Ernest was involved early on or Matt. Um, I think Ernest came in later. But Yeah, okay. Yeah, so from my perspective, uh, you know, I was doing the receiving recycling thing, a lot of warehouse work, uh, moving stuff around, getting it processed and out the door, not doing a lot of the refurbishing. So when Brian came in at the end of the master recyclers, like I can, would love to like work with you to, to kind of improve things that sounded real great. I invited the, the team in and we kind of did a, a walkthrough of the warehouse, uh, decided that there was some potential. And the next step, we started a, a charter with Lean Portland. And that was a very valuable step in the process because we kind of sat down and said, what is the most important thing that... Mm -hmm. You're doing as an organization that would have the most impact and it was pretty obvious immediately it had nothing to do with my department it was about testing the laptops we had i think probably 2,000 laptops sitting in a closet we were producing about a hundred of them a month and the rest of them were just slowly aging into obsolescence uh, and so we set a goal of uh, over the next couple of years aiming to quadruple that to about 400 laptops a month. Uh, we had a great uh, value stream mapping session that Maria led that I believe basically identified that the average laptop sat in the building for three years and took about six hours of time. Uh, obviously, we had more of a selecting the ones we wanted to build first. So it wasn't a formal system of first in, first out, or last out, where you just kind of picked what uh, seemed tempting and the rest just sat there with no expiration date. Uh, and so seeing that obviously we had too many laptops that weren't moving, we were able to pare that down. We were able to uh, see that we're spending like six hours of touch time per laptop. Uh, well, uh, when we toured similar organizations doing similar work in the nonprofit world, 
theirs was significantly lower. Uh, so just mm. having that realization mm. made it obvious we needed to change something. Uh, and so that's another uh, big value. I think when Brian first said, hey, let's talk about you know improving your, your operation, like, great, this will be like some arguments on my side for why we need to clean up and why we need to like have fewer things sitting around. And uh, I think there's, there's really a lot to that when you're trying to like change an organization that's evolved over 20 years and everyone's kind of got their own, we've always done it this way or why would we change? Things seem to be fine. Really looking at the numbers, having data that says, you know, half of your laptops are, are never gonna be built at this rate. And the ones that are being built, you know, cost more in labor than it would cost to buy a new one. Uh, and we're not there anymore, but that's kind of what it started to look like when we did that math. Uh, another thing I wanted to kind of dive into is, and I'll come back to laptops, but thinking about the pandemic, uh, let me change my background real quick. I know how to do that. So this was about 10 years ago. Uh, we had about 10 people crowded around a table with hammers and pliers and screwdrivers taking apart printers for their precious metals. Uh, mm. Well, specifically to separate circuit boards from clean plastic from kind of steel scrap that was going to a shredder. Uh, at that time, uh, before Lean showed up just a little bit, kind of started to realize that there are machines that can do this work as well as humans. Uh, printers can get smashed up and mechanically separated. Uh, but for us, we'd been doing it for years. We could say like, we make an extra $10 an, an hour by separating the materials rather than selling the printers whole. But if you think about it, having 12 people around a table doing a dirty job to make $10 an hour collectively uh, and I take stuff apart. Uh, it took a lot of footprint. It took a lot of time, it took a lot of resources uh, and didn't significantly improve the environment. Uh, so that was one of the things that we were able to kind of shift off of our plate. Like the work doesn't need to be done here. This is, this is not super efficient, uh, a lot of waste in that. Uh, but the challenge was, this was hundreds of hours of volunteer time a week. You can see some kids there having a great experience. And so we, it was really obvious we needed to preserve that experience as long as we could. Even after this, we would, uh, when Brian and Maria showed up, we had about 12 volunteers at a time in the warehouse uh, doing jobs that were really better done by humans than machines at the time in terms of environmental impact and income. And then suddenly nine or 10 months ago, we realized with like three days notice that we couldn't have volunteers in the building anymore, uh, but there was still work to be done. Uh, Brian and Maria came in and we, we talked a little bit about mostly the, the kind of health and safety things about signage and removing high touch areas. Uh, but the tools that I got from a couple dozen sessions uh, sitting in the meeting room with Brian, Maria, Ernest, uh, really helped me, you know, 
think in, in lean ways, uh, as we saw that we had to find a way to do the core of our work with, you know, 20% of the, the human hours. Uh, we were able to kind of grab, gather some data, you know, kind of do the same comparison we did before with printers. Like volunteers have been taking apart uh, or taking the, the boards off of laptop hard drives. Uh, and the circuit boards are worth a lot. The drives are worth a little if they still have the boards on them. But when we did the math, we saw that uh, dollars per hour, that's a tedious job. It can get recycled mechanically. Uh, but the larger drives, we make like $50 an hour if we put staff time into it, assuming staff can work very fast. Uh, so I'm gonna change my background again. I know I'm rambling, so if anyone wants to jump in, feel free, but this is a, one of the points I, I wanted to make about how we've changed over the pandemic. Uh, so now instead of a table with six people and hand tools, uh, I've got a couple of these stations where uh, there's a spring balancer, a push to start a drill that moves about eight or 10 times faster rotations than our old tools. Uh, it's more ergonomic. You're standing up. You've got every tool you might need in reach. You've got a bin for every output in reach. And so you can basically do the job of four or five volunteers in the same amount of staff time. Uh, so it was in the end pretty painless to adapt from having the volunteers doing our work while we supervised to uh, just kind of diving in and and doing that work, hopefully in an ergonomic way that uh, is also uh, pretty efficient. Uh, unless anyone stops me, I'm going to talk about laptops. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, well, I will say that that's awesome. Um, I, I love the way that you've uh, evolved and came up with um, different ways to to improve that workstation. Um, I do want to go back to something you said earlier about the laptops taking like six hours or something like that to go like, it was like six hours of process time on the laptop. And also you were talking about comparing to other organizations that were doing it a lot faster. What did that comparison look like? And were they also organizations that did the same kind of like volunteer experience that Free Geek is all about? Yeah, there's quite a variety. So there's a, a an umbrella organization called AFTR, A-F-T-R-R, which is the Alliance for Technology, Refurbishment, and Repair. And we're all nonprofits. There's about 90 of us now. Probably five or six are in the kind of same league as Free Geek in terms of throughput and scale. Uh, some are, are bigger. Uh, and some of them have no volunteers at all. It's entirely staff and... Uh, because of that, obviously, they have uh, some of them explicitly done a lot of lean work uh, and can track that, you know, per desktop computer, let's say, there's like 20 or 30 minutes of, of staff touch time. And if it goes to 35 minutes, they, you know, recycle that one and move on to something else. Mm. Uh, we would tend to do kind of and then a little bit of an assembly line there, too, where they might have a, a table where they like set out 10 computers and by the time uh, each one's done with its like processing process, 
that doesn't require touch time, then the first one's ready. Uh, and e some of them even had uh, little conveyor roller belts moving from station to station. Mm -hmm. um, so by touring other similar organizations doing similar work, we really got to see a lot of things that were obviously more efficient than, than ours. Uh, one of the big challenges kind of culturally, and I think it's legitimate, is uh, a lot of those programs didn't have volunteers. And I like to think of like a, a triple bottom line for, for my department. Mm -hmm. Are we doing the right thing for the environment? Are we doing the right thing for our budget? And is this a, a meaningful job for volunteers that gives them job skills, education, uh, even for, for some of our volunteers, the chance to like socialize in a community? Is it like a, a happy, healthy thing for a human to be doing here? Mm -hmm. uh, and so there was some, some real pushback with like, well, we could do it better and faster, but then what would the volunteers learn if all they're doing mm -hmm. a repetitive assembly line task? And so that's been a challenge that we, we've struggled with in the uh, refurbishment department. Uh, as I said, that's Lean Portland and Free Geek decided that laptops is where we wanted to put our efforts into increasing the number of laptops we could get out the door, assuming we couldn't increase the number of staff. We've made steady but kind of slow progress. Uh, we're really in a good place right now and we're continuing that work of trying to even capture kind of the value if you count the, the cost of the space, the cost of the time, the cost of the, the parts, how much does it really cost to refurbish and give away a computer? Mm -hmm. And as we've done that for things like Apple computers, uh, Windows laptops, Linux laptops, desktop computers. Uh, just this last month, Amber Smith, who's our, our lead there, has you know, seen some numbers that, again, are significant enough to drive change. We can focus on the things that, are, that make a lot of sense and either troubleshoot or deprioritize the ones that end up costing us more than they're worth relative to the other things we could be doing. Well, I think um, I, I do want to point out that I think slow and steady is brilliant. I, I think it's really easy to want to go for the bright, shiny object, like look at our efficiency numbers or productivity numbers. And one of the great things about something like value stream mapping is you can see the process time, but you also saw that the laptops were sitting there for three years before they actually made it through. So you know, while that's the, not the sexiest thing to improve, it can actually make a huge impact on the operation over a longer period of time. So, um, you know, in that longer period of time, how has the, the laptop production area changed or evolved? Yeah, one of the things that came out of value stream mapping was uh, basically a dashboard for free geek where you're like, well, if we don't know how many computers we've even refurbished in the, you know, on an average month, how can we measure improvement in that area? Uh, so Amber and I kind of worked on tracking that in our first year with this back dashboard was uh, 2017. And we refurbished 1,381 laptops that year. Uh, this last year, uh, 2020, we think we refurbished uh, 3,500. 
So basically three times as many uh, with effectively fewer staff uh, dedicated to it and uh, no volunteers in that area. Mm -hmm. um, and did you reduce the number of years uh, they were on the shelf? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that, that closet that was full of things that were unorganized and just piles, grab whatever looks the most interesting uh, is now much more organized. We've got uh, Metro style wire shelves with postal style uh, bins that each have about 10 laptops. They're uh, generally evaluated as they go into the closet instead of uh, when we were working with R Maria, we kind of estimated like half of the things we've had stored for three years we're just broken to begin with and not refurbishable. So now we're kind of filtering out, are these, do these have potential uh, to keep them? And we actually almost ran out of laptops uh, for a couple of weeks during the pandemic. Uh, wow. Demand was high, supply slowed down. So we, we really got to the bottom of the barrel of the last, like, if nothing comes in the door tomorrow, we might not have anything for the refurbishment team to do, uh, which is a both a good argument for having a buffer because supply can can die out in in the uncertain industry we're in. Uh, but also, uh, you know, in my mind, a buffer is kind of only optimal if it sometimes fills and sometimes empties, and if it's mm -hmm. always like. If it's always full, then it's just storage. That's how I think of it. Uh, I have some questions actually, John, and it was one of my questions had to do with um, demand and how you address that. And you kind of just did, but that is really in a atypical situation as this pandemic, but in a regular pre-COVID, post-COVID, how does that pull actually happen or how does demand relate to what you have? That's an excellent question. Uh, we spent a lot of time with Lean Portland kind of talking about uh, even just defining push and pull. Uh, and I want to kind of shout out that that's another big value of these sorts of conversations is just getting shared language, uh, just kind of being exposed to those concepts. I say Free Geek is 20 years old. I'm pretty confident that for first 17 of them, we were entirely push-based. Something comes in the door, the first person who sees it says, this is cool, it must be reused. They push it onto someone else and they're like, I've got it now, it's on my pile, I have to do everything in my pile. And then it makes it to the store and either the store is like, cool, we'll put it out there for a dollar and see if anyone wants it or uh, nobody wants it for a dollar send it back to recycling. So it used to be pretty common for me to get in recycling boxes of devices that had been tested, sat around in the store and got recycled. And that was particularly frustrating when I knew we were still actively testing those same items. Uh, so it was really entirely push and without, I mean, obviously there are a lot of smart people working together. Uh, it was fairly dysfunctional from a, a push only side, uh, which, you know, as the receiving person, I want to push things out because I'm like, we can't bear to not reuse this. We love reuse. Uh, but 
with that language, we put a lot of effort into talking about our sales channel and our hardware grants channel and our other programs of giving free computers. Uh, what do they want? So uh, during the pandemic, we, we shut down our store, uh, our physical store, and now it's all online. So there are some things that you might put on the shelf for a dollar and somebody finds it and they're like, cool, but it doesn't make sense to sell that online and ship it. Uh, and so the things that we're, we're sending that way to be tested have really changed. Mm -hmm. And we're better able to shift to that after uh, moving towards a, more of a pull-based system, ideally, but realistically kind of a hybrid system that was a, gave us the opportunity to ask the really big questions, uh, like what does our community need most? Laptops, desktops, and at what ratio? Rather than saying, we've got a bunch of great desktops, we have to reuse them because we can't bear to recycle them, build them, fill up shelves until they're overflowing and everyone gets frustrated. Uh, it gave us an opportunity to look for other channels. So there are some desktop computers that aren't good enough for our community, but are good enough to be sold in pallets to wholesalers. Uh, so I still like to push a little bit uh, just cause that's, I'm getting the stuff that uh, our stream is really varied and unique. Uh, so I can't say I'll order you up a thousand laptops this month we're going to get what we can get and we can try mm -hmm. to advertise for that. But then we'll also get really weird one-off stuff that if you don't research it, make an argument that this is actually worth trying to sell on eBay, then mm -hmm. it might just get recycled. Um, I remember when we were there last, there was like a vintage kind of like Apple machine. Well, it's, it still said Macintosh on it. That looked like it was kind of a green screen sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're still a little chaotic in a good way, I think, uh, maybe more than I like, but uh, we do get those, those weird cool mm -hmm. things and either there is an end market for it or just the, the personalities of the team are like, this is cool and nostalgic, Yeah. put time into this. Maybe we sell it at a bit of a loss if you account, account for all that time. Mm -hmm. But then our community loves it too, you know, seeing all the, the weird stuff kind of. It is Portland after all. Yeah. But yeah, we've really been able to, to focus on uh, not only what types of things our programs need, but we're now starting to talk about having uh, better tools for predicting uh, what we need. Uh, and we might reach out to Maria maybe Brian about this in the next couple of months is kind of having a, a calendar for production. Uh, right now, someone says, hey, Amber, I need 20 laptops next week. And she scrambles. Uh, but if we could say next two months from now, you need, you know, 180 laptops and we predict we can do that. And here's what we need. Uh, and when they come in, they will go to you versus uh, kind of all that uh, Easter famine stress of mm -hmm. we've got an order for a hundred things that we hadn't talked about last week and <laughs> drop everything and do it. Um, what other questions are out there? Thanks, May. Don, did you have any 
change in the floor space? You mentioned you freed up some of the inventory, but how has the space changed for laptops? Yeah, great question. Uh, <laughs> laptops I'm not as expert on as Amber, but I think that space changed by having one person in the room instead of two or three, and people are actually taking laptops home to work on them there. And that wouldn't have made sense a couple of years ago without some of the improvements we made to the process. We got better software tools. We eliminated some steps that were time intensive and kind of specialty hardware intensive. Uh, so having a, a more lean process means that you can take a stack of laptop computers home as long as you've got a good internet connection and a, a small box of parts and tools. Uh, that it's a much more modular job. Uh, in my area, since probably a third of the whole warehouse was dedicated to those volunteer activities, uh, I was actually alone in the warehouse for like two months while staff took voluntary furloughs, but we were still receiving stuff was coming in. They gave me a chance to really gut out a lot of the old furniture, the, the benches and the tables that volunteers worked on now have the, the specialty workstations behind me. And most of this stuff uh, was kind of donated. I think these uh, shelves came from IBM and probably cost thousands of dollars when new, but they were uh, moving and had some surplus furniture. And so we're always gonna have a little bit of that, but then customize it to meet our needs. Uh, again, the, the tools of Lean Portland have really helped in that process. I was talking to Maria earlier I've never really got to the fifth S in 5S. Uh, I'm not like any kind of expert, but forcing myself to think about a sort and settle, everything has a place and there's a place for everything. Uh, the idea of like, if you haven't touched it in six months, why is it there? Really gave me a lot of confidence to just get rid of a bunch of stuff, uh, make, uh, a standard set of tools, a standard set of bins, and say, and really f push back against, or with my team who are like, I just want to set it up my own way because this is a little weird uh, to having it standardized is better than perfect. Uh, if anyone can like step into the shared space on a different shift, know where all the tools are, know where all the parts go, uh, and that, it's going to save you from walking around the room and having to, you know, find tools all the time. So while I have very little expertise in something like 5S, uh, having the awareness that Brian and Maria have given me uh, is applied every week in the work that we do and made it fairly easy to overhaul the warehouse with a, a really eye to limiting movement, limiting space, kind of maximizing the, the outputs for time. I'm curious about when you use the term refurbish and what what standard is that? I mean, what what's the procedure and what, whether there's, what does that actually mean for uh, you guys? Yeah, so if we think about a, a laptop computer, the first thing we're gonna do is ensure data security. So we're gonna, pull out the hard drive, we're either going to wipe it using industry standards or we're gonna punch a hole in it and destroy that hard drive. 
so we're, we're doing data security. We're doing uh, a lot of standard tests, the load tests on the memory and the processor, making sure all the, the main functions work, the screen, the keyboards, the hard drive, uh, any speakers, that sort of thing. Uh, and then just a little bit of a cleanup. We're not really doing soldering work. Uh, we'll swap parts on things that are worthwhile. But, you know, if somebody dropped a, a cheap laptop and broke the screen, we're probably going to sell that, you know, pull parts from that and recycle it. But uh, if it's a high-end MacBook, we can spend a day fixing just about anything. So we, yeah, I don't have a... A dictionary definition for refurbishment, uh, it's not, you know, it should be good enough to use as if it were new. Uh, one Thank thing you. I want to make a point of, of bringing up is uh, Lean Portland has always been super generous with their time. And the, the big challenge from my perspective has been uh, the commitment from our side. I, I had high expectations for like, really, if if Lean Portland is putting this much effort into it, we owe them uh, to really do do homework and to uh, take advantage of, of every meeting. And so in the early days, we, we had meetings every couple of weeks and not a lot of homework happened between. And a lot of the meetings tended to have a little bit of the first half of the meeting is recapping what we talked about last week. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of work being done. Uh, so we probably had, you know, 10 hours of meetings before we did the, the value stream mapping, which uh, we actually did in real time on a whiteboard. And so that kind of practical doing it together was probably the most effective. Uh, of course, I, I learned a lot in a lot of the meetings, but without the without having invested in time and doing the homework, I really didn't get the most out of that. Sometimes I feel guilty about that, but as you, as you work with other people, uh, if you don't have that kind of high level of engagement with somebody who's got the free time to, to read the books and to like do the practice. And, uh, you know, we talked about, uh, a daily huddle board, uh, and we probably had four or five meetings on that. And every time like, cool, I'm going to go make a whiteboard and put it up in my team and train everyone to use it and normalize using it and not uh, not let it drop when things get busy or weird. Uh, and still, that's, that's still on my to-do list. Like, I've got a whiteboard. It's got some stuff on it. But, you know, we don't talk about it every day. We're not to the you know, we're not to the Toyota level. And so my expectations early were like, there's so much opportunity to improve. We really need to jump on that. Uh, and again, Lean was super generous and we didn't take the most advantage of that. But what I've come to terms with is, you know, I mentioned we're doing three, three times as many laptops mm -hmm. with fewer resources. Uh, and a lot of that uh, is because of the, the conversations and the tools and the shared language uh, and the, the actual like value stream mapping and 5S that we've done with Lean. Happy to see if anyone's got questions about any of that too. Uh, a point 
John, I think part of the success we've had there or you're having with Lean is because of your involvement. So thank you. That's been key to all of the work that the organization has done, your role and your commitment and how you educate people. So anyway, I just want to say that. My question is more about that whiteboard you mentioned and daily huddles. I'm curious what kind of engagement you have with the volunteer team, like with what would look like a daily huddle, like go over the goals of the day or metrics or... We never really designed the huddle to be volunteer oriented. Uh, Just about the time the pandemic happened, uh, we had thought that we might do that. <laughs> you know, not that, uh, you know, more of like uh, statistics and kind of talking points and, and impacts on something visible to volunteers. Uh, but with the way our schedule is set up, volunteers would come in and do a specific set of tasks uh, and that's, and then kind of be gone for some weeks. Uh, we'd heard great things from like the food bank that they dedicated 15 minutes at the start of every shift to get everyone on the same page and really do that kind of huddle. Our volunteers would trickle in over the course of an hour and then we'd individually train them for like 15 minutes on the task. We just trained the person next to them who got there five minutes earlier was trained on. Uh, so our, our schedule didn't really facilitate that well. And similarly for like the daily huddle with staff, they would come to work and 15 minutes later, there's a bunch of volunteers coming in. So the big challenge has always been carving out a time, even three or five minutes to like stop what everyone's doing and, and dive into this huddle. Uh, I have been able to now make a, a 45 minute weekly team meeting uh, in the middle of the day. And that's where this board is helpful for uh, kind of what are the things we need to remember? What are the the new things that have come up? What are the the big tasks that need to be tackled? Still not really using it effic- effectively, but it's got a little momentum in that direction. Um, thanks, Matt, for the question and the comment too. Um, you know, I do agree about you know, a lot of the, the progress and improvement is due to your commitment and also the commitment to, like, I'll expand on that to say the commitment to like the foundation of the lean principles, like keeping carrying forward that um, how might 5S work here? Is this pull or is this push? How does this relate to our value stream and continuing that thinking? So I, I think that's, really great. Um, and then there was something else that I was gonna say that I escaped my mind. Um, maybe it will come back. But anyway, I wanted to, if there's no more questions right now, open it up to a couple of breakout rooms. Brian, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna add that, um, you know, I think that what I learned out of this too, as of, you know, helping out um, I think the discussions around the volunteer experience was really valuable for me. And I think that's something that we can bring back to our work is, you know, um, it kind of ties back to that, what you're talking about, John, is, is this respectful work or is this meaningful work? Mm-hmm. And also we shouldn't just do something because it's, it's 
doesn't seem value added if there is a learning that goes with it for the volunteer or some kind of development for them or an enjoyment there that there's a value to that that we want to make sure that we keep in mind. And so I thought the discussions we had around the volunteer experience and even trying to come up with ways of measuring that as a way to, to also be success for our process and for your organization, I thought that was really uh, what I learned a lot out of that experience. And so I think that's something that we should always be considering, even whether it's a nonprofit or a for-profit, um, is that is part of the work and there is value to the type of work being done. Even the volunteer experience on our side. Yeah. Like us as volunteers, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember the other thing that I was gonna say was, um, you know, it, when we did the value stream mapping, we did it together in real time. And that is often more productive and makes much more progress than talking about it in a meeting and then, you know, leaving it up to us as a collective to like, and we'll do this after the meeting. That rarely works. <laughs> so um, I think that was a good point too. Thank you, John, so much for sharing your story. And um, I think you guys are doing great work.